I will apologize. I uh, finally got a handle on this cough thing. Uh, it's allergies and stuff like that. And yesterday I decided to clean my bedroom. I forgot to do it in February. Can't figure out what happened in February, mid-February. Uh, but, uh, um, and as I was dusting, I realized that was quite a bit. And I briefly thought about stopping because, you know, we are dusting unto us, we shall return. It could have been somebody, a parishioner or two. But, uh, uh, all joking aside, today as we hear this uh, first reading, it's, it's about the only time of the year, if I remember in the whole sequence of three years, that we hear this particular passage of Abram and the covenant that God the Father makes with him. And, of course, part of the covenant uh, we're not as familiar with, but covenant rituals of the Middle East at the time involved exactly what we hear of a slaughter of an animal, laying the animal, uh, uh, splitting it down the middle and laying it on one side, and both parties would pass through that, the space that, between the carcass. And it was, in a very literal way, a reminder of me, if we break this covenant, happen to us what happened to this animal. It's pretty graphic. And there's something amazing about this, though. Notice that Abram never passes through the carcasses. It's God, the, God who passes through in what appears to be smoke and fire. We so often might miss the, what is being alluded to, or foreshadowed, rather, because where else was smoke and fire important for God showing his covenant? If you were thinking the Passover, as they passed through the Red Sea, you're exactly right. And if you are profoundly aware, you might even think, gee, that's what we have at the Easter Vigil. As we come in after blessing the fire, it's incense, a cloud of smoke, and the candle, the Paschal candle, a pillar of fire that lead. What is being alluded to is a profound moment. But notice what happens to poor Abram. He falls into a trance, almost a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness envelops him. See, in the Old Testament and naturally in the New, when somebody is in a deep sleep, it is a moment of spiritual awareness and awakening, as odd as that might sound. And so as we turn to this gospel passage in this transfiguration, and we, by the way, hear the transfiguration every year on the second Sunday of Lent, for good reason, we hear of St. Luke recording that they had been overcome by sleep. They were, it's not just a moment of being a little overwhelmed or being tired, but it's purposeful. They should have known as they were falling into a deep sleep in what we can assume is the middle of the day, that something was going to happen. In fact, if you're counting, we have three different warnings that something profound is happening. First, they were taken up on a mountain. Mountains are places of encounter where God encounters his people. Why would Jesus preach a sermon on the mount in Matthew's Gospel? Or giving of the commandments on Mount Sinai? Or time and again and again, Mount Moriah for Abraham as he nearly sacrifices his son? 
of Jesus on Mount Calvary. Mountains are places of encounter, so they should have known right away. And then, of course, after we hear another as they enter the cloud, and we might say, well, that's just a nice feature. But we hear in the Old Testament how the cloud entered the meeting tent, how as Moses prayed before the Ark of the Covenant, the cloud came upon him and made his face dazzling white, such that the people were terrified of him and begged him to cover his face with a veil. Or the cloud that enters the temple as Solomon brought the Ark of the Covenant in to his resting place. And all of the prophets prophesied that that cloud of God's presence would come again when God was about to restore Israel. The cloud of presence here as it envelops them. So Peter, John, and James are in a unique situation. Threefold of spiritual awareness, perhaps. And we might ask, well, what, what is all of this going on? They, they, they wake up and they see Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. And again, without being uh, um, immersed in Scripture, we might miss what's happening here. But Moses, of course, is a lawgiver. Hopefully all of us know that. He was one who led Israel out of, of Egypt. And then there's Elijah, the prophet. In fact, so, he was so important to the Jewish people that they believe that he will come again before the Messiah to prepare the Messiah's way. We know this, hopefully, because we hear it before, uh, before Christmas of how John the Baptist is, if you accept it, the prophet Elijah. Both Moses and Elijah, by the way, had odd departures from this earth, and I say that purposely. Elijah, we know, we hear in Scripture that he was taken up to God in a fiery whirlwind or a fiery chariot, depending on the translation. And Moses, at the end, it says that, that God took him. And to this day, no one knows, knows where he's buried, but there is another tradition that says that Moses was assumed to heaven as well, body and soul. So it isn't it interesting that Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah who will stand in God's presence, body and soul. And not only that, but as the giver of the law and as the prophet, they prepared the way for what Jesus is to do. And in fact, we hear this. St. Luke could have used Probably, uh, I started counting all, all sorts of different words uh, that, G, that Luke could have used for what they were talking about, but he uses the word exodus. It's a transliteration from the, from the Greek literal translation. Exodus. They're talking about his passing, his Passover. Well, that language should recall, again, the people being freed from Egypt being taken by, led by Moses by the pillar of smoke and fire, being led out through the Red Sea, being led into freedom. That's what they're talking about. They could have been talking about his mission. They could have talked about his death. They could have talked about his self-sacrifice. They could have talked, but St. Luke records they were talking about his exodus. And it's precisely because of that that the church in her wisdom gives us the transfiguration year after year on the second Sunday. 
because we are beginning to remind ourselves of how God did something more magnificent, as magnificent as that first Exodus was, as they were led out of Egypt into freedom, as they were led from despair to hope. We ourselves receive something more as Jesus Christ offers himself on the cross to free us from sin and death and giving us hope of eternal life. Peter is overcome by all of this. I, I, I've admitted before and I admit it again, I love St. Peter because sometimes he gets it so right and sometimes he gets it so wrong. His track record is about 50%. If you pay attention, he gets it right and then almost immediately gets it wrong. Oh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, but God forbid that should ever happen to you, Lord. St. Peter wakes up and he, he comes to notice that what he's doing, what he, oh Lord, it is good that we are here. He's just rambling. How many of us have rambled when we're in the presence of God or we know an awareness? And St. Peter is just rambling. It's good that we are here. Let us build three tents. I, I must admit I'm frustrated by our translators. They try to avoid this loaded language, but another translation for tent is tabernacle. We as Catholics know what that means. It's a place of presence, a place of dwelling where we put the Blessed Sacrament. We're not talking this particular tabernacle. It's not uh, a little safe-like thing where we keep the Eucharist, of course, but it's a dwelling tent. And for the Jewish people, they would have heard the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, where they set up a, a tent a semi-permanent structure in the yards or the fields to remind them that they are a wandering people of the field. Peter sees everything in a moment. And notice what happens. After the cloud comes upon him, they're moved to silence. They cannot talk anymore. And how important that is for us to remember. I know, believe it or not, I, I, I know and I've, I've joked with enough people in the last month that uh, I've been reminded I use way too many words and write way, way too much. Perhaps it's fitting that we have the Feast of St. Joseph on, Friday, or on Saturday coming up. St. Joseph, who was a man of silence, because he reflected. Believe it or not, when I am moved to silence, then you need to be aware something's happening. We need that silence, though, to ponder what is happening here. We need silence in our lives. And St. Peter took that opportunity. John and James took that opportunity for silence. And St. Peter, years later, tells us in this letter, we're not following cleverly devised myths. We were there with him on that holy mountain. We heard that unique declaration. He, looking back on that moment, says it was that moment that helps us to know the truth. And the Church of her Wisdom knows this because it's moments like the transfiguration for the apostles, moments of transfiguration in our own lives, where we see Jesus clearly, plainly, as he is, that remind us that in the depths of darkness, of pain, 
of grief, of doubt, of shame, of whatever it is, whatever desolation it is. It's in those moments we go to those moments of consolation. It was the transfiguration that gave Peter the courage to come back to Jesus after he denied Jesus three times. It was the transfiguration that gave St. John the ability to stand at the foot of the cross, watch his Lord and Master, his friend, die, to take the Blessed Mother into his home. It was the transfiguration that allowed St. James to be the strong leader that he was, who proclaimed the message of the resurrection. The same is true for us. The moments of transfiguration are our life. If we're silent about them long enough to ponder what it really means, they prepare us for everything that is to come. We just recited it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is our light and our salvation. No longer seen in a pillar of fire and smoke, rather seen as Jesus Christ himself this Eucharist, at this Mass, who longs to make himself known to us.